Modern Love, the podcast, is supported by... BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. From the New York Times and WBUR Boston, this is Modern Love. Stories of love, loss, and redemption. I'm your host, Meghna Chakrabarty. There are a lot of relationships that fit neatly into boxes. They're friendships or they're romantic. But other times, relationships defy easy definitions. When I was an art student in London... I worked part-time as a barmaid at a pub in Notting Hill. It was the perfect job for me. Being in a crowd of people every evening stopped me from feeling lonely, and the bar prevented anyone from getting too close. I found relationships with people difficult. I was gay, but didn't know it yet. Growing up among the British-landed gentry, I didn't think gay was something I could be. All I knew was my friendships with girls were complicated by the fact that I sometimes wanted to kiss them, and my relationships with boys were complicated by the fact that I often didn't. Working in a pub was safe, where my contact with the patrons was confined to jokes and orders thrown across the bar, above the high volume of rock music blasting from the jukebox in the corner. A few months after I started working there, I arrived at my shift to find an unfamiliar guy leaning against the bar. He was laughing with his friends, a pair of crutches propped against the bar stool. He was the centre of attention and clearly known by everyone, although I had never seen him before. His head was entirely bald, which suited him with his dark skin. And when he hobbled off to the bathroom, I noticed that one of his legs was missing below the knee. I had been brought up to believe it was bad manners to ask questions, so it took a bit of eavesdropping before I learned that his name was Mikey. He was a regular and he hadn't been in the pub when I started working because he was in the hospital having his lower leg amputated. Apparently because of cancer. Soon I started looking for him whenever I arrived. If I saw him approaching the bar, I would pour his drink, anticipating his order, and watch his face light up when I pushed it towards him. He must have eavesdropped too because he started calling me by name, waiting for me if I was serving someone else, and hanging around after I had served him. 
When I collected beer glasses, he would lope up behind me and put his chin on my shoulder like an overgrown puppy. I would turn my head and kiss him on the cheek. His eyes would crinkle into a smile. And then he would swing around on his crutches and head back to his friends. If he was sitting on a bar stool and I walked past, he would put one arm out and catch me by the waist. Nicky, my adorable, he would say. Mikey, my beautiful, I would reply. I would ruffle his non-existent hair and he would grin bashfully and let me go. He never asked anything more of me. It was the gentlest friendship I had ever experienced. When he returned to the hospital for more operations, I visited him. I would sneak in joints and we would sit on the fire escape smoking. I never asked him about the cancer, the operations or his prognosis. I didn't want to be nosy. I figured he would tell me what he wanted to and the rest was his business. One evening, the landlord of the pub threw a fundraising event for cancer research. First prize in the raffle was dinner for two at a Michelin-starred restaurant. By accident or design, Mikey won it. At the end of the evening, he hopped up to me, put his arm around my waist and whispered into my ear, Will you come with me? I saved my tip money so we could take a taxi to the restaurant. Formal attire was required, so Mikey dug out a tie and an outrageous purple and green plaid suit, which he wore with the trouser leg tucked into his waistband to hide his stump. The restaurant was filled with dapper-looking businessmen, dining in bored composure with clients or wives. Mikey and I felt spotlit in the middle of the room, the skinny blonde chick in a floaty goth dress with multiple ear piercings, and the dude in the loud suit with half a leg. It was obvious we didn't belong, and we milked it for all it was worth. The waiters gave a special treatment, perhaps relieved by the break in the monotony, showering us with attention as if aware that this was a once-in-a-lifetime event, which it was. The meal was seven courses, throughout which a jazz band played on the far side of an empty dance floor. Do you think anyone ever actually dances? Mikey said after we finished dessert. I shouldn't think so, I replied, looking around at the formality of the patrons, who were studiously ignoring both the jazz band and the waiters, as if displaying any interest might betray a lack of savoir-faire. Would you like to dance? Mikey asked, a gleam in his eye. Can you? If you don't mind holding me up. I followed him to the dance floor, where he handed his crutches to a waiter. The sleepy jazz band perked up. Mikey put his arms around my shoulders and leaned heavily on me and the two of us made slow, three-legged progress around the floor, hugging each other to keep our balance. Everybody watched us while pretending not to. I giggled, feeling like we were in a movie. Mikey looked like he was on the greatest adventure of his life. 
and I felt happier than I have ever felt before or since while dancing with a man. In the taxi afterward, just before he dropped me home, Mikey kissed me on the lips. His mouth was soft and cushiony. When I pulled back, he looked at me with an expression I couldn't quite interpret. A combination, perhaps, of respect and regret. Mikey asked me out a second time, to a party some friends of his were giving at their house. I went, but I felt awkward all evening, as if I were an imposter. These people had known Mikey forever, and I was taking him away when there seemed to be a tacit need for them to spend as much time with him as possible. I left, feeling as if my presence in Mikey's life had been an intrusion. Unable to label what I was to him, and certain I was monopolising his attention unfairly, I pulled back. Another guy started drinking nightly at the pub. This one wore a bandana like a pirate and rode a motorcycle. I wanted to learn how to ride a motorcycle, so this seemed like a good enough reason to start dating him. I didn't explain this new relationship to Mikey, nor did he ask. When I turned 21 later that year, I gave a birthday party to which Mikey came. He caught me alone during the course of the evening, while the biker was occupied buying pints at the bar. I bought this for you, he said, handing me a small black jewellery box. Inside was a gold pin in the shape of a tiger with diamonds for eyes. I opened and closed my mouth, unable to find any words. I want to give you my blessing, Mikey said. You have my blessing. A few months later, Mikey died. I didn't go to the funeral because I was unsure of his friend's feelings towards me. I was just some girl who had trespassed out from behind the bar, who had briefly become something unnameable in Mikey's life. I didn't believe I had the right to grieve for someone who had not quite been my friend, not quite my boyfriend, not quite anything I could put a label on. I felt ashamed and embarrassed but I couldn't articulate why. Twenty years later, I went back to the pub, hoping to discover where Mikey had been buried. I wanted to tell him I had loved him, but I hadn't known how to have platonic love with a man. I wanted to apologise for coming into his life with my mixed signals so soon before he died. I wanted to tell him I wished I had been brave enough to ask questions about how he felt, what he was going through, how I could be a friend to him. I wanted to say I was sorry if anything I had done or any way I had behaved had hurt him. I wanted to ask him to forgive me for being so young, so thoughtless, so insecure, 
so naive. But the pub had changed ownership, and nobody had heard of a kid named Mikey who loped around on one leg. A boy with a ready smile and sweet heart. A boy who makes me cry even when I think of him now. That was Gugu Mbata-Raw, who stars in the new movie Misbehavior. She read Oliver Radcliffe's essay, Recognizing What They Had, 20 Years Too Late. The essay was published under Oliver's previous name, Nikki, but since writing this piece more than two years ago, Oliver has transitioned and now identifies as male. We'll hear from him after the break. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if the sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we've teamed up with The New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, Plus, This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good, but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. My name is Oliver Radcliffe. I am transgender. I actually wrote this piece under the name Nikki Radcliffe because I wrote it before I transitioned. And I am a writer. Oliver lives in Connecticut now. He told us that when he wrote this essay, he was working to make amends with some of the people in his life. And Mikey was on my list of people I wanted to make amends to. And I didn't really know at the time what kind of amends I wanted to make or why. I just knew that 28 years after he died, I still had this sort of big lump in my chest about my relationship with him that was unresolved. And I was driving down to New York to go to a book reading of a friend of mine. And I was listening to the Modern Love podcast on the way down. Oliver heard Victor Lodato's story, When Your Greatest Romance is a Friendship. It's about how Victor, then a writer in his 40s, became best friends with his elderly neighbor, Austin. Listening to this story of this man's beautiful relationship with this elderly woman uh, sort of brought up all these emotions, and I didn't really understand what I was feeling. 
But I got to New York and I was an hour early for the book reading. So I flipped over my laptop and I thought, okay, I'm just going to write the story of my brief relationship with Mikey as if it's a modern love essay. So I wrote the, the story of, you know, this brief platonic romance and the emotions just came out at the end in this immense and, I, you know, I think I was probably crying when I wrote it because I realised how much regret I had. Regret, he says, for not understanding the kind of relationship he'd wanted to have with Mikey back then. His friendship with me was so gentle and so respectful and so sweet and so puppyish that every time I saw him, it just used to make me happy. You know, I really felt that as if I was falling in love and it felt like it was reciprocated and yet it didn't feel like something that was going to turn into a sexual relationship. I knew somehow that that wasn't what we had, but I didn't know that there was an alternative. I didn't know there was such a thing as a romantic friendship or a platonic romance. And then, of course, had no chance to make amends or to revisit that because he subsequently died. Oliver says he stopped working at the bar shortly after Mikey's death. He spent his 20s living in London, but then, in his early 30s, things changed. I felt like I was going to be left behind by all of my friends who were settling down and getting married and starting to have families and children. And I didn't know what journey my life was going to take if I didn't do that. So I got married and I had children. And then we moved to America and it was in America that I reunited with a very old friend. And she was living a completely different life, living in the East Village in New York. And I realised that I had consciously put myself into the wrong story and I was either going to have to stay in it and be incredibly unhappy for the rest of my life or I was going to have to get out and change my life and cause Mary hell doing it and I had to choose the second because I was having a breakdown. I came out of the closet to my husband and my family and my children and it took a long time because I was structurally very tied into this life. And eventually, after having written this story, I started addressing the feeling that I'd had for a very long time that I wasn't actually a lesbian because I wasn't actually a woman. Um, and I started talking to my then partner about the fact that I thought I was probably transmasculine or transgender. Since then, I have come out fully as transgender, I've legally changed my name, I've undergone sex reassignment surgery. As you can tell by my voice, I'm not taking testosterone because I'm pushing 50 and that's a tough thing to put a nearly 50-year-old body through. But I'm out, I'm authentic, I'm incredibly happy and I've got four amazing children who are staunch little LGBTQ advocates. Oliver and his children moved to a new house in Connecticut after his transition. Initially, they weren't quite sure how to handle meeting new people. We arrived on this street and all the neighbours came round to say hi. And I said, my name's Oliver. And my neighbour from across the road said, so what pronouns do you use? And I just wanted to hug her. Um, and I said, he, him. And she went, oh, that's cool. And everybody just kind of rode with it. And my other neighbour came round and he said, I have a backyard men-only fit club on Thursday nights. Do you want to come and join us? I'm like, hell yeah. 
And the first time I turned up, I realised that he hadn't told any of his friends that I was trans. And I turned up and they all looked slightly surprised for about 30 seconds. And then I was in. So I really have landed in the nicest suburban street I could possibly have hoped for. But transitioning did come with costs. Oliver says he lost his partner and some friends, but he also gained a lot. The gains I've made really are just being able to breathe. You know, not feeling like I want to crawl out of my skin every day, not feeling like I can't speak or I'm invisible because nobody can see me or I'm having to act every day and concentrate on what I'm doing and what I'm saying and how I'm moving in case I betray something. Living in a female body and having to present as female and being read as female has caused a high-level anxiety throughout my life, um, which nothing can dissipate apart from transitioning, and I've tried everything. And Oliver says that in the decades since his relationship with Mikey, he's thought a lot about Mikey's blessing. It's a hard thing to explain, but it feels... It feels lovely. It feels... um, It feels like I've been blessed. That sounds so... sentimental. But it does. It feels like that blessing makes sense now. He must have known at that stage that he was going to die and that there was something that we hadn't said to each other or had been unspoken or had not been addressed that he needed to say to me, this is okay. What we have is okay. The way we relate to each other is okay. And who you are is okay. And the fact that you've messed up because you're young and you haven't got the faintest clue, all of that is okay. And it really stuck with me. Yeah, it really stuck with me. I can still remember his face as he said it. He was holding my hands. 28 years later, I can still remember it as vividly as if it was yesterday. That's Oliver Radcliffe. He's a writer living in Connecticut. You can find pictures of Mikey and a link to Oliver's website at wbur.org slash modernlove. More after the break. This podcast is supported by Carvana. Looking for a new set of wheels? Shop for your next car the convenient way. 100% online with Carvana. Whether you're shopping for a vehicle at your leisure or if you need to get on the road, Carvana makes it super easy and hassle-free to browse their massive inventory of cars. Whenever, wherever. Plus, Carvana has thousands of quality cars for under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to shop for cars the convenient and affordable way. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we teamed up with the New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app. 
and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. Actress Gugu Mbatha-Ra read several essays, but she really connected with this one. When I read this, it was just so beautiful. I just felt like there was a sense of regret and a bittersweet longing and youth and, you know, age and looking back at a type of love that you couldn't quite understand at the time and now it's gone. I just thought it was so beautiful and I just loved that they were such an odd couple. (laughs) Um, So unsentimental and just such characters. Um, I just thought that was just so heartbreaking and, and moving. Thanks to Gugu for reading this week's essay. She stars in Misbehavior, which opens in the UK this week. You can also see her in The Morning Show on Apple TV+. Here's Daniel Jones, editor of the Modern Love column for The New York Times. There's a way in personal essays where the writer always um, is expected to be harder on him or herself than on the people um, being written about. And in this case, the writer is harder on himself than, you know, he, he goes out of his way to say, oh, I wish I'd done that, I wish I'd done this, I wish I'd asked more questions. And I think in this case, he's too hard. I, I think it's his, he brought sort of such light and life to this this guy, Mikey, you know, who, who was just, who was dying, and that's what Mikey needed. Modern Love is a production of the New York Times and WBUR, Boston's NPR station. It's produced, directed, and edited by Caitlin O'Keefe. Original scoring and sound design by Matt Reed. Iris Adler is our executive producer. Daniel Jones is the editor of Modern Love for the New York Times and advisor to the show. The idea for the Modern Love podcast was conceived by Lisa Tobin. Special thanks to Julia Simon, Anya Stremian, and Mia Lee at the New York Times. Additional music courtesy of APM. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. See you next week.